Luke 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. The title of the sermon is Seeking and Saving the Lost. Luke 15, and we'll read starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go out after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is a joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Uh, Pray with me quickly. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. We pray that we would receive what is in it for us. We pray that in it we would see a Savior who is mighty, a Savior who is loving, and a Savior who is merciful. Thank you, God, that you do a work in us that we could not do for ourselves. And because of that, we are here to learn more of you, to grow in you, and to become stewards of grace, those who proclaim the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Help us in this hour to be attentive to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A question for you this morning. What would make God happy? What would make God happy? I think you guys could come up with a ton of answers to that question. And I think a lot of those answers would be well-intentioned, but I think Luke 15 is trying to draw out a very clear answer to this question. What would make God happy? I think some of us would say, well, maybe if I read my Bible a little bit more, that would make God happy. If I devoted more time to prayer, I think that would make God happy. Maybe if I committed to loving others more, that would make God happy. And maybe if I committed to going to church more, that would make God happy. If I was more regular attender here at 180, that would make God happy. If I went to Camp Regen, that would make God happy. If I did choose to serve at Vacation Bible School, VBS, which you guys announced so well, that would make God happy. If I thought of others more, that would make God happy. Maybe if I went on a missions trip or I went far away and served the people who have very little and have many needs, that would make God happy. I think the rhythm of the book of Luke understands those things to be true, 
but wants you to find a foundation for all of those things that you would think make God happy. And it wants to bring to focus, it wants to bring to the forefront of your mind the reality of how God works and what makes him happy. Happiness for God is not derived in what you and I can do for God. And here in Luke chapter 15, we've come to the very center point of this book. In other words, we've come to the climax of everything that Luke has been working toward to this point in his gospel message. And what Luke has for us is a a message that really changes how we think about God and how we think about ourselves. Luke in in this chapter, comes forward and says, do you want to know what makes God happy? God. Nothing draws more delight into heaven than God himself. That's the emphasis and the focus that Luke takes here. And God can do that because God delights in saving sinners. And so what Luke is doing is he is transforming how religious people think about God and not just religious people in his day, but religious people even today. Maybe some of you here, some of you who've grown up doing the right things and going to church and doing spiritual things and doing them because you understand them to be something that's expected or required of you or thinking of them to be something that would gain you something with God. And Luke says, that's fine, but before all of that, would you recognize this? What makes God happy is God. God delights in his own work. And the primary work that God does that brings him the most delight, that brings heaven a celebration like has never been seen before, is saving sinners. Before a sinner can do anything for God, anything that would bring God joy or bring God pleasure, a sinner must recognize his place. A sinner must recognize that they are in a position in which they can do nothing of themselves to make themselves right with God, and so they need him. That's what Luke 15 is trying to draw out for us here. Luke 15 is a message of God's work in the hearts of sinners that brings God much delight. How are we to make God happy? We are to believe his gospel. We are to believe his message. We are to believe in his son. We are to believe that God is the only one that can do that work in us that we cannot do for ourselves. That's the message that Luke 15 has for us, and I hope it's a message that is helpful to you as you process your Christian life, as you process going to school where there are Christians and quasi-Christians and non-Christians. I hope it's a message that sticks so that you can have a foundation that propels you to do great things for God, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. This is the foundation of all true Christianity. It's a God who delights in saving. It's a God who delights in saving sinners. And it's a message that inspires hope because it's it's a message that inspires joy. Joy in heaven derives from salvation on earth. And that's a message that we want to see this morning. 
here in Luke 15, we come into a, a portion of Scripture where now Jesus has trying to make clear to some what it is that his earthly mission is. And he does so by form of a parable. And I think you understand what a parable is. It's, uh, you know, in contemporary terms, you might say meme or gif, gif. No one? Oh, okay, gif. All the gif people, raise your hand. All the gif people, raise your hand. Mm. The world will never know. But you like those things, and you understand their purpose. I mean, the reason we like memes and gifs are because they explain or they make even something to be humorous that is often true. They're things that are kind of real. They present reality in a way that when we see it, we say, wow, actually, that's exactly how it is. And then we laugh or we cry, depending on what we're looking at. It's something that takes reality and it gives it a form, a picture, a portrait in order to make it real for you. It drives the point home. And a parable is something like that. It's not just a story for a story's sake. It's a story for the purpose of illuminating truth to you. It's presenting reality in a way that you can understand. And those who have ears to hear and eyes to behold it will understand it rightly. And so we see here from the very outset, Jesus begins to tell this story, these parables, these three parables. Today we'll look at two of them in order to highlight what his mission was and how it is that God receives joy in salvation. He begins here in Luke 15, verse 1. And I want you to know that our first point here is there is confusion about Jesus. There is confusion about Jesus. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Notice there are people drawing toward Jesus and people drawing away from Jesus. We note very, uh, very quickly here, tax collectors and sinners, they are coming in to hear what Jesus has to say. And this is important. In the chapter that precedes 15 here, Jesus has expressed the cost of discipleship. And he has done so to the point that he tells them right before chapter 15, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus gives an, invita an invitation to hear and to understand. And when he does, friends, let me tell you something. Sinners, bad people, want to hear what Jesus has to say. Jesus' words are good news for bad people. Tax collectors and sinners, these would have been the most ostracized, most outcast people in that society. They were as good as nothing. They brought no value to society. They had either done things against God's law or done things against God's people that had put them on the fringe of society. They were seen as worthless. They were seen as, uh, as being no good. 
And as soon as Jesus steps in and speaks, those very people draw near to hear him. I don't know what your story is. Some of you have done things that are beyond me and beyond the people here that try to minister to you, and you think that those things hold you back from Jesus. Jesus would have this to say, if you have ears to hear, come on in and listen. Receive my words. Hear my plea for you to be a part of God's family. No one is too far gone from what Jesus offers. Have you done bad things? Have you done wicked things? Is your life filled with evil and filled with things that would displease God? Good. That's the requirement for coming in and receiving what he offers. You notice that on the flip side, as tax collectors and sinners draw near, Pharisees and scribes grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This has always been their complaint about Jesus. Through the gospel of Luke, the Pharisees and scribes just don't get it. This guy continuously puts himself in positions where he's regularly fellowshipping with the bad guys. He's regularly fellowshipping with those people who aren't supposed to be members of our society. They're dirty. They're unclean. They aren't good for anything. And yet these are the people that Jesus goes to. And religious people are that way. Religious people don't have a heart for Christ. They have a heart for themselves. Religious people aren't concerned with what Jesus thinks of them or how they align with what Jesus wants for them. Religious people are concerned about looking good in front of others. That's what these guys' issue was. The the Pharisees and scribes, they see Jesus' ministry and they grumble, they groan, they complain, they, they grow unsettled and they are upset and angry to the point that we all know they ultimately killed Jesus because of the very words that inspire hope for us. This man receives sinners and eats with them. What a blessed complaint that is. That is the most hopeful complaint we've ever heard, that Jesus would receive sinners And eat with them. Those who feel they have no need of Jesus are just satisfied in themselves. Those who think that Jesus isn't doing it the right way think too highly of their own opinions and their own works. That's all that's going on here. It isn't that the Pharisees and scribes don't need Jesus and the tax collectors and sinners do, it's that everyone needs Christ, but only some see it. It's that everyone needs Jesus, but some are so confused because they only look to themselves for their standing before God. Jesus is here ministering to sinners and tax collectors, those in society outcast and ostracized, and those who paint a picture for each and every one of us of our spiritual state. The Pharisees and scribes couldn't see it. And so Jesus, to help with this confusion about him, tells them a parable. And so secondly, I want us to note the compassion of Christ. First, we saw the confusion of Jesus, about Jesus. Now let's look at the compassion of Christ as is laid out for us in these parables. Jesus tells them three, we'll look at two. 
The third you've heard many times, the prodigal son, and it turns these two that we'll look at this morning into something very personal. But I want to look at these two because they're often left out. And they tell us so much about the heart of God and his compassion. Look with me here in Luke 15. And so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And the second parable is like it. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? There is something that Jesus is communicating here that is precious to all of us or should be. First, he does so through this image of a shepherd. There's a shepherd in a field and evidently one sheep wanders off. And this shepherd, because he's a good shepherd, the only thing he would know to do is to leave the 99 that are okay in search of the one that is not. And you would think, man, that doesn't seem to be good math. Like if I had 100 sheep and I lost one, see you, buddy. That's messed up. And I think you understand the love. And if you don't understand the love and affection that a, a shepherd would have for sheep, maybe you could just think of it this way. What if it was your dog? That's right. Now, if your dog got lost, you would go searching for it, wouldn't you? Some of you wouldn't. Bad dog. If your, if your dog got lost, though, you, you would go searching for it, wouldn't you? There's a built-in affection. There's actually some kind of relationship that you've built up with that animal. That's very similar to what shepherding would have been like in Jesus' day. It wasn't just a job. It was a relationship to some extent. And so if one sheep got lost, there was a commitment to going and finding it. Because a sheep that's lost is as good as dead. There's tons of danger out there for it. It could fall in a ditch, and it ain't getting out. Even if it falls on its back, it's not getting up. And if it's in the wilderness, there are predators and dangers all around it that could end its life. Its only hope would be this, that a shepherd would go out to find it. And Jesus, in communicating his mission... Jesus in clarifying for tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, and scribes who he is and what he's doing. He says, I am as a shepherd who goes after even the one that is lost. I'd leave the 99 in the open country until I find it. Not only so, he compares himself here to a woman having 10 silver coins. And if she loses a coin, she lights a lamp and sweeps the house and seeks diligently until she finds it. And again, ancient metaphors are lost to us because you think of a coin and you're like, who the heck looks for coins? Not you and not me either. We don't place the same value on that anymore. But the value of a coin in this day, 10 silver coins, one of them would have been a whole day's worth of wages. And even so, you're like, I don't get a paycheck. I don't know what that means. So I'll show you. Right there. What do you do if you lose those? That's right. You freak out. You freak out. 
If you lose something of value, you would freak out because that's something that matters to you. It's important to you. And here's the problem with these bad boys. I already lost them in my pocket. I got them. If I lose these, how much can it help me find it? Not at all, which is why Apple's doing everything they can. They've got that finder tag. You can do the find my iPhone. You can find my Apple Watch because they can't help you. It can do nothing to say, I'm here. I'm under the couch. I'm under the bed. I'm in your pocket. I'm in your hand. (laughs) It can't do those things. It's inanimate. Just like this lady's coin. And so what's necessary? She needs to search with all of her might. She sweeps the house. She looks under every corner. She looks in every crack and crevice. She she checks her house incessantly. She seeks diligently. She will not stop searching until she finds it. This is the heart of of God, our Savior. Why would God delight in God? Because without it, we have no hope. Why would God delight in God? Because if it were not for God being who he is, we would never be found. This is why we worship Jesus. This is why we praise him. This is why we sing of his mercy and his grace because he is like a shepherd or like this woman who when they've lost something that matters to them, they search incessantly until they find it. They're willing to go through whatever it takes to find that which matters to them. A shepherd is willing to leave 99 and is willing to go through a a journey that is arduous and difficult and dangerous and, and that could even cost him his own life if only it means finding that lost sheep. A woman is ready to uproot her entire house if it means finding that one coin. Are you seeing it? Do you see the heart? of King Jesus here. Jesus is willing to go what none of us could go to save us. He is willing to do that which none of us could do in order to save us. Jesus was willing to descend from his throne on high, to be born in a manger, to live a righteous life, to die a death that we deserve, to take on the punishment and wrath of God for sinners and sinners only so that we might be found. And Jesus is not going back to heaven empty-handed. That's not who he is. Jesus searches until he finds. Friends, I don't know what your story is, but I can tell you this. Jesus is seeking lost people. And so that inspires lots of hope. If you're here and you have not given your life to Christ, I can tell you this, nothing you could do could stop him from searching. Nothing you've done, nothing you will do will keep his love from pursuing you. God is after you and he is after you incessantly. He desires to save, and that is what he delights in. 
Because he knows you cannot do that work. He knows he must do it, and he has done it. Would you turn to a God like that? Would you love a shepherd like that? Would you love a Jesus like that, who has loved you in this way? I pray that you would. And what's more, for some of you here, I'm sure you have been found. I'm sure that Jesus has already done a work in you, and Jesus has saved you and brought you back home. And so here's my plea to you. Live like you're found and not like you're lost. Would you live as though Jesus paid every price, everything that was owed for you? Would you live now as though you recognize and revere and respect all that Jesus has done to save you? That is what it looks like to be saved. Repenting and believing, being found and being found in the mercy and gracious pursuit of Jesus, it means that now you come home and you live at home. You're not trying to go back out there. You've been there, you've done that, and you've seen his grace. So live in it. And that isn't some kind of legalistic plea. That isn't some kind of uh, guilt trip to get you to do the right things. That's calling you to love him and obey his commandments. Those who have seen the kind of savior that he is desire to abide in him. This is the compassion of our Christ. And it leads us thirdly here to the celebration of heaven. The compassion of Jesus leads to celebration in heaven. And we see this at the end of these two parables. Jesus has done everything to find those who were lost. And when he, or, and when he has found his sheep here in Luke 15... What does he do? He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And so too this woman, a few verses down, when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And we can understand the joy in finding lost things, but I think we so often are obscured and our vision is, is not able to captivate the joy that is in heaven when God finds lost souls. And that's what Jesus is aiming at here. These two rejoice at finding that that they'd lost. Imagine, imagine then the joy of heaven when God finds Sinners who repent. That's the goal that Luke has here. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. A few verses down, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is what it means to be found. What it means to be found is to repent and turn to God. 
What does repentance look like? It looks like turning away from that which got you lost in the first place and turning to the God who came seeking for you. It means leaving behind the old self and putting on the new self. Repenting means turning away from the evil and wickedness and the vile things that Jesus died for and now turning to the righteousness and godliness and holiness that he also died for. That's what repentance looks like. And it looks this way so that in heaven there would be resounding joy. God's delight is in God's work. God's delight is in God's work. And for a sinner to repent would mean that a sinner would have to acknowledge Jesus for who he is. Would you recognize that today? Would you see Christ for being all who he says he is? Religious person, you're not good enough. And sinner, you're not bad enough. Jesus is who we all need. That is the message of Luke. That is the the driving force of his gospel. And he wants you to understand this so that you can know that heaven's doors are ready to open in celebration every time a sinner recognizes this truth. Luke's purpose is to show that Jesus is here not to save a little, but to save all who would see it. Jesus' desire is to save. He makes this abundantly clear for us in Luke chapter 19. In Luke 19, 10, Jesus, after having been with Zacchaeus, a wee little man, something like this. I'm probably Zacchaeus, honestly. 80% of you are taller than me. After being with Zacchaeus, Jesus makes his mission on earth as crystal clear as possible. Luke 19.10, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. And what's more, here's what we recognize even a little further on in this chapter. His mission was accomplished. Jesus didn't come to earth hoping that he would save some sinners. Jesus didn't come to earth thinking, man, I hope this plan works out. I hope this thing that we've put together, I hope this this mission of saving sinners, I hope it's it's something that's fruitful. I'm really hoping that this thing is something that'll work. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And what Jesus' purpose is to do, that Jesus does. What what Jesus came to do, do, Jesus accomplished. Jesus didn't come with wishful thinking about salvation. Jesus didn't come crossing his fingers, hoping that this plan would come about and really work out. Jesus came because he knew that as soon as the work was finished, sinners would be saved. So you don't have to wait any longer. You've seen the heart of your Jesus. You've seen the heart of your king. You've seen the heart of him who is the blessed king of heaven. 
the one who's come in the name of the Lord, him and only him is able to save. He is the only savior worthy of our praise because he is the only one in whom God delights. And that delight can be yours as you turn to him in repentance. We're entering into one of the most beautiful times for the church right now. Obviously this week we talk about it as Holy Week and we look forward to Easter and we look forward to celebrating that resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to recognize that the heart of Christ that we see here, that we've seen in Luke 15, it is just a portrait of all that is true about Christ. And everything we celebrate this week, everything we're looking forward to has come true. It isn't about shepherds anymore. It isn't about a woman looking for a coin anymore. And it isn't about some dad who's looking for a prodigal son. It's all come true in Christ. The father sent his son to die as a ransom for many. That son came to seek and save the lost. And that son has guaranteed that those who look on him in faith would be saved by his own blood, by his burial and his resurrection. So as we celebrate this week, I pray that you would look to him who alone saves and him who alone causes delight in heaven. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We pray that we would be, that we would marvel at the glory of who Christ is and what he does. Thank you that Jesus alone is mighty to save. Thank you that Jesus alone is worthy of our praise. Thank you that Jesus alone is the delight of heaven. And those who believe in him become sons and daughters of God. We thank you for our Savior. Uh, the one who took on the great cost of finding his sheep, the one who searched incessantly until he found that which was precious to him. Thank you that he came for sinners like us. Thank you that Jesus died for the ungodly, died for those who had turned against him, that he made enemies his friends. And so, Lord, would we turn to you in repentance and faith, and through that, would we recognize that heaven delights in the salvation of sinners? Those who have been saved, would they see that and would they endure in a life uh, that is not easy even as a Christian? And would you also give us a similar heart to God? That it is not only God's concern for the sinner and God's concern for those who need to be saved, but now as his people, would we too be concerned with the salvation of those who have not believed. Embolden us to proclaim the good news of Jesus as Savior to those who have not yet received him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.